Charlie Halford has been in the Manteca area his whole life. He graduated from East Union. EU was young, and he was part of only the second class to attend all four years and graduate as a Lancer. He worked on a chicken ranch, amongst other jobs, eventually becoming a police officer in Manteca, and on to becoming chief of police. Then, retires from the police department, and the next day, signs on to be the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club. Today, Charlie is still in Rotary, and he's been elected, and is a current Manteca city councilman. A great Mantecan, a great servant to our city, and so many more things. Now, on the Man About Town podcast, hear a little bit about his life, which he still is busy living... And all about Manteca, California on the Man About Town podcast. Hit that theme music right there. This is the Man About Town podcast All right. So the podcast is to set an audio reference for the future. If anybody wants to come back and check out what we were doing in 2021 with the people that made a difference in our town of Manteca City. Wait. City of Manteca. City of Manteca. Incorporated 1916. So I need to change the name of the podcast because I'm not the man about town. I'd be the man about the city. Yeah, Way to go. Man about town works. It sort of works. I'm setting a reference for what's gone on since I was a youngster in Manteca. And some of those people are still around doing business. There's some people, they have the Manteca Hall of Fame. There's some people that belong in the Manteca Hall of Fame. I hope to tell their story. The people that are in the Manteca Hall of Fame, I want to tell their story. So this is just sort of something for me to do. I'm proud of my town. I'm proud of the people in it. And I respect a lot of the people that are still doing, running around, trying to make it good. And boy, you fit right there. You've been around for a long time in Manteca. Seems like forever some days. (laughs) But I've only been around 66 years. Where were you born? Dameron Hospital, Stockton, California. Dameron. Gosh, Dameron. (laughs) Went Went to Lathrop School, East Union. Oh, Graduated from the better school. Wait a second. You see the podcast logo on my shirt, right? With the big green M. You're a Lancer. I thought you was a Buffalo all this time. No, I went to the good school in town. (laughs) Well, there you go. I'll take it from you, Charlie, because I respect (laughs) the hell out of you. Um, So Lathrop, East Union, class of? 72. 72. What was going on in 1972? What was the song in high school? If you thought one song right now just immediately pops to mind from 72, what is it? You know, I am musically challenged. I didn't hear that. That's not what I heard from Dana Sullivan. Dana must have been smoking something when you were talking to him then. What, what was your car? Well, at that point, I had a uh, 1967 Dodge Polara. Dodge Coronet. Bought it from a guy in Lathrop. How long did you have it? Yeah, only a couple of years. How'd you move out of that car? Next vehicle. Datsun B210. <laughs> what year? I got a... I got a 1979 Datsun King Cab I've been having it work on. It had to be in 1973, 74. The really ironic thing is with that car. What? I sold it, I don't know, five years later. Well, about 10 years later, we hire a guy, new police officer, and he's driving my old Datsun B210. <laughs> what was his name? Lee Giametti. Lee Giametti had your vehicle. Had my vehicle. All those years later. 839 MSQ was the license plate. Just had breakfast with yes Dino Cunha, Rick Wool, mm-hmm. Gene Mullen, Garland Land, uh, and they were all my teachers. There's a group of old retired educators who get together every uh, Tuesday morning and have breakfast. And somehow I got invited to that breakfast, and so I go every now and then. Well, most weeks. Uh, How yeah. were you of a student when you uh, had those people as your teachers? I was a good student. I could have been better, but 
I had other things to do in high school than study sometimes. Like what? You look like a straight edge anywhere in law enforcement. You look like a... Well, you know, there were some extracurricular activities occasionally. <laughs> what was the best class in high school at East Union? What did you... Not what you excelled at. What was your favorite thing to do in school? None of it? Did you hate it? No, I, I enjoyed school. Pick a favorite. Anything that pointed you forward to what, maybe what you started I mean, I, doing? Honestly, I, I enjoyed school and... and Fortunately, it was easy for me. I didn't have to study a lot. You know, I came out with A's and B's, and my sisters both came out with straight A's, and so I was the failure. World history, American history, U.S. government, that kind of stuff. English was not my favorite. Uh, you speak it well. Had a lot of practice. <laughs> Been doing it a long time. Yeah. Sisters, what's your family? Who are you? Both parents are gone. Uh, three sisters, two of which live out of state, one lives in Stockton. Uh, one's a retired nurse, one's a retired accounting professor, and one's still working for restoration hardware. What was it like uh, having three? Three sisters. Three si- How, what was it like having three sisters? Well, it wasn't bad, except I was the only boy growing up on a chicken ranch. Where at? Clow Road. What, uh, Hares? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know the Rangels. I went to St. Anthony's with the Rangels. And oh, yeah, they lived in the, uh, in the, in the green and house. Actually, in the Hare house. Yeah. Tell me the history of that spot. It's not there anymore, is it? No, it's, it's gone, right? They, they, it's all gone. But it's, I, they've, they've scraped it away, right? Cora Rangel used to make the best. She'd put these, I think she'd buy the pre, pre-bought shells. I, that was the odd part. It was, you know, these are, these are really Mexican as oh, they yeah. get. And they had the pre-bought, and she'd fill the tacos and stick them in the oven and cook them. Gabe Sr. was the foreman, yeah, right. the, ranch, the ranch foreman. And I think there was a Gabe Jr. Yep. I'm Steve Rangel's age, class of 80s. I'm 53, yeah. so I'm born in 68. Yeah. I mean, Hare started in the 50s. Maybe even before that, because Jack Hare Jr. was the one that started it, and he's probably about 20 years older than my father, so he'd be 120 now if he was still alive. Be quite a feat. Yeah. Eggs do you well if that was the case. I mean, they, at one point, they had a million chickens in the Lathrop area, and then they opened up some ranches up in Oregon, and, and they moved up to Oregon, which is what why the house became available that uh, the, the Rangels were in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had a good time out there. We'd run run around the chicken farm. I, I don't remember being oppressively stinky, so I don't know. Maybe it was already out of out of operation at that time. I don't know how long they lived past it. I, I don't recall it being. Yeah, I stayed in operation for um, got twenty years after oh, okay. I, I graduated. Well, and I'm like I said, I, this for me it would have been in uh, Rangel. That's St. Anthony's. Call it fifth grade, eighty seventy nine. So. Well, I know that in seventy six they were still operating because I yeah. worked there up until seventy six. What'd you do at the chicken farm? I did everything. Uh, well, I grew up there. When I was a kid, I mean, we had our own little chicken farm. We had about 3,000 chickens and sold the eggs to, to hares. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I uh, I started working for hares, oh, probably in, I don't know, 7th or 8th grade, you know, 25 cents an hour, making the big bucks, scraping manure off of 4 by 4 posts. And so all through high school and college, I worked running units. If somebody wanted a vacation and when they went on vacation, wanted a day off, I could go in and run the unit, and so it paid my way through uh, college. I was very fortunate. Went to Sac State, graduated, paid my all of my way through working at the chicken ranch and working part time up in Sacramento, and came out with no debt. And you know, unfortunately, you can't do that anymore. That's uh, interesting that you worked at a chicken ranch. Did you figure it out at that point? Did you know what you were going to do before you went into college, or did you? How did you figure out what you were going? Was law enforcement it? Law enforcement was it. 
I mean, I and, and who knows why? I mean, I have no family in law enforcement. I was going to say, was there? An, did you have an idol? Is there somebody you looked up to, or what no, thought that's cool, or yeah, shiny red I, lights I, are I cool? Grew or? up watching Dragnet and Adam Twelve. Was probably responsible for a lot of people going into law enforcement. Right. And, and it was funny because I think it was Martin Milner passed away a year or two ago. Yeah, there were a ton of testimonials coming from now retired cops saying. They were the reason right? Uh, that, you know, Malloy and Reed were the reason that they went into law enforcement. I mean, because they were the epitome of law enforcement. TV's not always a bad influence. TV's a no, good influence not. in your no. case. It would have been. Ab- absolutely. Right? You know? And they portrayed law enforcement in, in, a, in a good light. So it was something you wanted to go do. Went off to college. Sac State. Cool? Fun in those days? Oh, absolutely. Was it new? No. no. Oh, okay. No. Older. I don't know. It'd been, it been, yeah, I'm not sure when it opened, but it was by no means new. In fact, I'm, you know, the dorms I lived in were probably built in the early 50s. Who ran the sports in Manteca when you went to East Union? Who was the, were you guys, how new was the school? It was new. I was the second class, that, that, went, second all, class? that went all four years there. So, right. I mean, our athletics was there, uh, and I was, I was the trainer and did the medical end of it. Which I kind of thought I might go into at one point, go into uh, physical so, therapy. So before, before the uh, the thought of being a police yeah. officer, maybe yeah, physical and, uh, therapist. Huh? And uh, yeah, our teams didn't do real well those first uh, few years. I mean, we had some decent teams, but you know, it was uh, it was a brand new school. Now it's more than fifty years old. They just they had their fiftieth anniversary here a couple of years and ago. And so am I, Charlie. <laughs> and so am I. I screwed around and turned 53. Can you believe? I can't even believe it, actually. Well, you know, the alternative to getting older is not good. That's right. Let me bring this guy in here right now. I'm Dana Solomon. I'm the former CEO and paramedic for Manteca District Ambulance Service. I have lived here since 1980. Well, I actually met Charlie uh, at a Manteca football game in an Oldsmobile ambulance in 1980. And Charlie's uh, no-nonsense, researches everything. Charlie has always had the community in his best interest. Your buddy? Yeah. You got a little fence around you, don't you? Yeah, I've been told that before. <laughs> yeah, Nate. But, I do. But aside of Nate. I got Kathy, but she's up in Sacramento right now fixing her house up to sell oh. it. <laughs> there you go. Continue on. The guy works tirelessly he looks out for his community he does his best to make sure whether it's nonprofits, whether it's you know on the job with the police department I mean, he's one of the most level-headed gentlemen i've ever met in my life i think he's being very kind some people might disagree with him occasionally these are people that aren't big fans of the police i'm sure possibility i can't imagine you're out here and uh causing trouble no no this is a hidden gem in here this neighborhood there's no reason to be in here unless you're you're at the end of the house yeah you're at the end of the end of the court did you think about that when you uh bought the place were you thinking from a strategic law enforcement well uh, some i mean and just you know lack of traffic and quiet you guys worked alongside of each other you and dana solomon we did when i first graduated from college i went to work for manteca lathrop fire department now Lathrop Manteca Fire Department. I was a reserve with them for a little while and then full-time for them for about about a year. That's how I met Dana. I mean, we were, the ambulance worked at all the high school football games and so they needed somebody to work and so there I was. If you were going to tell somebody right now where fire station number one was at that time, where would you tell them? Across the street from the pool. The city of Manteca pool, Lincoln Park. Number two? Uh, num- well, number two is on South Union. Oh, it used to be on West Center uh, by uh, Yosemite School. Oh, okay. What was the number of the, the house connected to El Rey? That was the Manteca Ambulance 
Oh, ambulance, station. not fire. I'm sorry. Well, no, it was. Before that, it was Manteca Rural Fire Department Station. Oh, okay. When they combined the Lathrop and Manteca Rural Fire Departments, that station became. And they built three new stations right back in the, oh, it had to be the 70s, early 70s. I was in the spot where the, across from the courthouse, that used to be a preschool. And when I was four, so in 72, I went there to, to right, what's now the... They're building something now that was the El Rey Theater. Then it was Kelly Brewing. Right. Um, and maybe we'll get into that when we talk more about the city and uh, what you've done uh, since retiring and maybe your political aspects. It's not a political show by any means. It's a, just a show about Manteca. Dana Solomon, he talked about when you guys uh, worked alongside of each other. Well, you know, Charlie and I, we've both been Rotarians and doing lots of volunteer stuff. We've put up signs all over this town for different fundraisers. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the truck or, you know, visiting. Definitely uh, when everybody else is sleeping, Charlie and I are out there hustling around. Tell me a great story about you guys hustling around. Rotary puts on uh, or helps put on several different events, uh, one is the free Thanksgiving dinner. Yes. You know, that's actually put on by a group of people. Right. Rotary kind of takes the lead in, in organizing it and, and getting all the supplies and getting stuff set up. You know, hold it at Mountain Mike's Pizza and do a lot of the cooking there. You have to go get supplies. And, you know, when you're feeding 2,000 people and cooking 200 turkeys, you're, you're going through a lot of, a lot of stuff. So it's, it takes a truck and a trailer to, to bring all the supplies in and... and uh, so Dana and I and Jeff Leotard are, are driving back, and, and we decided to take the back roads because it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And you know how traffic gets on 99 at sure. 4, 4.30 in the afternoon. Sure. So we end up you know, just driving all over, and there was a lot of BS being thrown around in, that, uh, in the cab of that truck for that hour and a half it took to get back from Modesto. No fighting? No fighting. No, no infighting amongst the uh, travelers? Nope. No, I did not know. I asked uh, about a great work memory, and of course, you probably know where this is headed. They were at the range, and there was an accidental discharge, which it wasted his knee. He spent a lot of time, and I think he's actually going to have to have more surgery to to fix that knee again. So, accident at the range? Yes. Yeah. Prior to being the chief? Yes. Yeah, he was an officer. Wow. Oh, hold on a second. My name is Jeff Leotard. I own multiple franchises through Mountain Mike's Pizza and Dickie's Barbecue. I've known Charlie through Rotary in Manteca for about 12 years now. And you said you had a work memory, Jeff. One of the great work <laughs> memories that I have with Charlie was a couple years ago when we do the Thanksgiving dinner. Charlie wanted to handle it himself this year so i said not a problem but unfortunately i still work around the clock i just can't let everybody do everything i still have to have a little bit of control so that morning it was game time and i was walking around yelling out charlie's name as he's trying to get everything done and every minute Where's Charlie? Where's Charlie? Boy, did he give me a look. But those are great times, and I definitely enjoy working with him. Years ago when I was growing up, Charlie was on the police force, and I always give him a bad time because when he was trying to catch me doing, of course, the devious things when I was younger, <laughs> oh. he was never able to catch me. So 
I get the laugh all the time because my probation officer shot him in the knee. It was a complete accident, but I always give him a bad time about it. I don't know about that story. Then Dana pops it, and then Leotard of all comes with this. Really? It's true. What happened? How do you have a range accident like that? This was uh, November 12th, 1983, late morning. What was your job title at the time? I was a sergeant. What was going on was it was when they were, the department was first starting up the SWAT team. And so it was some testing and evaluation of folks uh, that, you know, that were interested in being on the SWAT team. And we had gone through a course of fire and I, and I had finished. In fact, it was, I was done. I was heading back, going to clean my handgun and then and head home because I'd worked graveyard the night before. And then the next two uh, folks that went through the course of fire, uh, he had a, uh, not a malfunction, but the gun didn't fire. Uh, and so he kept progressing into, into, into the course, you know, went through the, uh, the malfunction drill, still didn't fire. Well, it turned out the safety was on. Oh, um, my goodness. And it was a Smith & Wesson Model 39 was on a, on a safety. It's a, a, a trigger disconnect. So you, the trigger pulls, but it Got just it. doesn't do anything. Oh, okay. Uh, and so he finally realized what was going on, and he f- fired at the target, uh, went through the target, hit me in the back of the knee, uh, fractured the t- my femur in two places, and my kneecap was in five p- pieces. What's your immediate thought when the bullet hit you? My immediate thought was I somehow managed to shoot myself uh, because I had my handgun in my hand, but you know was walking uh, down to the cleaning table and it was unloaded. But you know that was my first thought. What's the actual feeling? Fire. Piercing? What is it? You know, it really didn't hurt. Oh. I, I mean, there, there was no very little pain. I mean, it hurt later. Yeah. And when they were moving me around, I mean, it, and my, my leg, I was mid-step. I didn't have any weight on the, on the leg when it, when it actually happened. As soon as I put weight on it, I collapsed. Oh my goodness. That is just a... And then Leotard, of course, makes a joke about it. But, uh, you know, he, end uh, of this day, scuba diver. You know, and he scuba dove, you know, since, but, um, you know, it, it really took uh, a toll on him. If You'll see him. I mean, I see him all the time. Early mornings, it's it's pretty hard on him. He's got a little gimp to him, but don't we all at our age? <laughs> so. Says to this day, you've maybe got some surgeries in front of you. I'll have to have the knee replaced at some point. It's just the traumatic arthritis. And so it's, I mean, the doctor told me back then, he says, you'll, you will have to have your knee replaced at some point um, because you're going to you're going to get arthritis in your knee and and you stay on regardless of the work and then you advance up into being the chief of police all these years later what year did you make chief uh 97 i think it was 97 no i was very fortunate i, I mean uh, the bullet literally pushed the femoral artery out of the way uh, you know i've got a tiny little bit of nerve damage on you know uh, but had it lacerated the femoral artery, I'd have either been one-legged or dead. So I got I got nothing to complain about. I asked Dana what you're afraid of. I don't see Charlie being afraid of anything, you know. I've never seen him turn a blind eye to anything. The guy always will do his work, period. He, he you better He better pack a lunch if you're going to hang out with Charlie. What's that mean, better pack a lunch? You got these partying skills that I don't know about? Well, I think what he's talking about is, I mean, we get involved in a lot of different projects, and, and uh, 
probably a little bit like Jeff. I have a tough time letting go. Some people might say we're control freaks. Uh, but, you know, if we put an event on and we want the event to to be good and we want it to be the best and we want it to be remembered and, and we want it to have a good reputation. And so uh, we and everybody in Rotary, everybody in Kiwanis that you know puts on the Thanksgiving dinner uh, wants it to be a good dinner. And even though it's free to anybody, uh, you know, we go all out. I mean, it's turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, pumpkin pie, corn, the whole nine yards. And, and we want it to be a good meal. Uh, same thing, uh, you know, like at the Boys and Girls Club, I put on the, uh, do the crab feed. And you, and you want the crab feed to be the best crab feed in town. Right. And so we put a lot of hours in. Chuck Crutchfield, I am the former CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Manteca Lathrop, and most recently with Give Every Child a Chance. I retired uh, in, in November of uh, 2019. Uh, I've known Charlie for, for many years uh, through his law enforcement career uh, as, and as police chief. And he also served on the board of directors for both uh, Boys and Girls Club of Manteca Lathrop and Give Every Child a Chance. Gold star for me on my segue there, right into the Chuck Crutchfield and the Boys and Girls Club. Continue. The one thing I can tell you about Charlie Halford is uh, if he says it, you can take it to the bank. He, uh, he, he often uh, will, will contribute countless hours toward a community project, a fundraiser for a nonprofit, etc. He just, he just is that kind of a guy that uh, if he uh, says he's going to do it, he'll do it. And he has done, done that for numerous organizations throughout his, uh, his life. Tell me a work memory, Chuck. Other than the fact is when I see him with his son, I can see just the dedication there. But uh, one of the memories I have is the Boys and Girls Club was going to uh, participate in a fundraiser. And uh, we had to put, on this particular fundraiser, we had to put a deposit down. And at that time, I was rel- relatively new to Manteca. Uh, the club was having some uh, challenges financially. And they really didn't have the money to put the deposit down because you had to do it quite quite a bit in advance. And Charlie put the deposit down to make sure that the fundraiser would happen. Uh, we paid him back, but the fact is that uh, he was willing to put money out of his own pocket to make sure that the club fundraiser went on without went on without a hitch. And what's really neat about that is that he he, he knows the value of the club because in law enforcement he sees the other side. He sees those kids that that have challenges in life and and may not may not. Uh, always go down the right path. So he was very dedicated to the club and wanted to make sure that the, uh, there was some money there to, to help the kids in the community, you know, accept. You uh, rise through the ranks. You become the chief of police. You have how long of a career as the chief? I was chief for 11 years. And then that wasn't enough. Let's retire, and then we're going to go work at the Boys and Girls Club. Had you done work prior as, your, at a, as a police officer with the Boys and Girls Club, or you decided to donate your time at that point because you had... Well, I had been on the board for the Boys and Girls okay. Club. Uh, was president way back when. Okay. Uh, I eventually went off the board because the meetings of the board conflicted with the police chief's meeting, sure. uh, the county police chief's meetings. They approached me about it because uh, they had been through a couple of uh, directors and there was some, con- you know, a little, little controversy. And uh, so I, I had a three-day weekend of retirement and started as the CEO at the Boys and Girls Club and was there for f- four or five years and then retired again, uh, you know, from that. How did that affect your life working at the Boys and Girls Club? Yeah, it was... Uh, 
it was an interesting time. Uh, you know, it's uh, what years? Uh, that would have been oh eight to twelve, okay. so four years. Interesting times. Interesting times. You, you know, we had the downturn in the economy, the Great Recession, housing bubble burst. Uh, you know, we summertime we'd have two hundred plus kids down there. Uh, some of them, you know, and kids come to Boys and Girls Club for a lot of reasons, uh, ranging from it's a place to go hang out and have fun with other kids to they can come there and get a meal because they're not necessarily going to get a meal at home. Uh, Was not aware of that. Yeah. Well, and, and we... Not, it's not a big green sign in yeah. front that says, but no I one's mean, going home. Yeah, I mean... The uh, it, it, when I was there, we were actually getting the meals. The school district provided them, but we served them. Now the school district comes down and serves the meals. Uh, but you could at least get a free lunch. Uh, yeah, the 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 club does a lot of good things for kids in Manteca. Uh, it, it's you know it's a safe place to hang out. Uh, there's education. Uh, homework assistance. I am a product of the Manteca Boys and Girls Club. That's why I uh, offered up my services to come out and do the telethons when I could. Um, in 19, when did they put it in? 82? 83? 83? It was in the 80s, mid-80s. Yeah. Mid uh. So I'm, go I'm not in high school yet, but you could go to the wood shop at the Boys and Girls Club, and there was nobody in the wood shop. You would go in there and flip the. This is an ocean now. This is a. You'd flip that, and they had a punching bag in one room, so you'd learn the speed yeah. bag, and they had a weight. You know, weight equipment sets were new. That you know at that yep. time, that type of thing that they had. And um, I am a product of the Boys and Girls Club, right up to winning a DJ contest there. And, you know, having dances, they would have a, a teen dance and yep. let me DJ one time and uh, then gave away trophies for a mixing contest because mixing and scratching and breakdancing yeah. came on in those times. And, you know, that's where I, that's how I started doing and getting into radio. I was the street dancing and I hung around with a crew of kids that wanted to dance um, and they needed a DJ. And gosh darn it, if I had too many more of uh, Tuffy's chocolate chip cookies, Inez, uh, Myers down at the Antica High School in the snack bar. I've had too many more cookies. I'm gonna have to be the DJ. Yeah, of course, and a big mouth, and we know that story how that ends up. But um, the Boys and Girls Club was a a big deal for kids that had no parents, maybe at the house for a few hours. Right, a great babysitter. It's it's that for some people. Uh, uh, you know, for some, it's an opportunity. I mean, maybe an only child. Right. Uh, me opportunity for them to come down hang out and, and and do whatever get a lot of foster kids in there in the summertime you know and and it's a wide range of socioeconomic groups in there it's not all it ranges i mean because we tried to get that information from people their income levels because we need it to apply for some grants right i assume it's all the that's associate that had that area has its own uh, socioeconomic sure do they put it there for any certain reason? And you almost think that why would anybody come from the other side of town and lived in a nice house and maybe had access to a swimming pool in their house and, and they would come to the Boys and Girls Club. Maybe it's not all kids that didn't have it so well. But well, it is. It, it touched everybody it, it touched, at all. It, it touched everybody. I mean, really think one of the challenges like we've always had at the club, and I still volunteer at the club, is getting kids there. I mean, obviously, the closer you live to it, the easier it is to get there. If you live south of the bypass, right. it's hard to get there. Right. 
Now with the ad, with with the uh, the bus system in Manteca, you can now ride the bus there. There's a bus stop in front of the club, so you can take the bus there. Very cool. Uh, the uh, she want you want a bus, honey? You want to get on the bus, baby? I know, She's uh, cutie. Yeah, so that's always been a challenge. Uh, and as Manteca's gotten bigger, it makes it harder for for kids to get there because if you live down off of Pillsbury on some of the new houses there, I mean that's you're not going to ride your bike. It's not going to Oakwood on your bike like no. we used to do, huh? A few of us would get away. It was funny. I was just at the grand <laughs> opening for uh, Great Wolf today. Sure. Oh, and uh, pretty neat. We were we were talking. Uh, Supervisor Rickman, you know, from the county, was there, and we were talking about Oakwood and uh, how Oakwood used to be, and how it was kind of the genesis of a of a lot of water parks in in California, and the United States. So since we moved there, and you probably know the inner workings, you're uh, part of the city council now. Can somebody open a water slide two miles down the road with uh, just stairs up to four slides like they have in Fresno and, and open a public? Could somebody open one or is there oh, a proximity? No proximity clause in there. What has kept somebody from putting up one of those just, you know, it, it just ends up being a vaulted set of stairs with four tubes coming down. But you go by and through Merced and Fresno, hey, there's been, why wouldn't somebody open the, hold on a second. Let me play this jingle for you. Takes me right back, right there, huh? I love that. I love that. Yeah, well, it had the money and and the uh, insurance. The insurance. That was one of the that's reasons. Number one, right? That's one that's of the reasons Oakwood, Oakwood closed. Right. Was was the liability concerns and the insurance rates and and sure. of course they were the old school water slides, concrete. concrete. Uh, yeah, hit your head on slide one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No OSHA then. Well, if there was, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, when I first went to work for the fire department, I mean, we were hauling people in. Oh. Uh, not from the water slides, but they'd go, they'd go out to the lake part of it. Oh, that place was absolutely. They'd get drunk, stupid, hurt themselves. I live out by Caswell, and that used to be a real common thing out there. You know, you know there's uh, nothing like carrying a 300 pound guy on a gurney through sand. <laughs> Jeez, would be undermanned to do such a job, yeah. right? And get out there. Well, you, yeah, you, you have to carry it because it doesn't roll. Let me ask you about downtown. Since I'm asking about Oakwood and if somebody could just open up another water slide, tell me why our downtown, as best as you can tell us in the pod, us being people that are listening, why are we only smoke shops and how come we don't look like a Livermore? One of the differences between Livermore, Tracy, and Lodi and Manteca is the traffic on both Yosemite and Main Streets. Okay. Uh, and how does that, and what's that mean? Well, you're not going to, I mean, it, there's just, there's, it, it, it takes a while to get down there and through there. Uh, you know, there's plenty of parking downtown. Uh, you know, there's a big parking lot to the, to the rear of the, the one, one in 200 blocks of, of West Yosemite. Uh, part of the problem is, is landlords have, their buildings are not tenant ready. And so, you know, the potential tenant has to come in and spend a ton of money to bring it up to code. Uh, the uh, it is low rent. I mean, it's less expensive to to rent property there. Uh, 
But uh, honestly, in, in, in my humble opinion, the traffic is, is the biggest issue. That's a challenge uh, because to take traffic off of Yosemite Avenue would be very, very, very expensive. And of course, you have competing needs. One of the many consultants that the city has hired over the last 30 years. Oh, that's been a joke, huh? Uh, you don't necessarily want to make the downtown car concentric or car centric. But if you want to make it easier for pedestrians to access across the street, then you've got to get traffic off of it to a degree. Can you close it? Could you close those two, three blocks from Axland going west to to the railroad tracks? Could you just block off the street? You mean from Fremont going west? Well, from from Yosemite headed down towards J&J and going that way towards... If you want to go from east to west to Manteca, what's one of the streets you go east to west on? Well, yeah. Yosemite is one of the few that goes east to west, city limits to city limits. Louise Avenue does. Woodward Avenue does. North Street doesn't. Center Street doesn't. Alameda uh, Street does. Yeah, Alameda does. does. You've got to, and, and one of the challenges with that is, I mean, let's say we did something to discourage traffic on Yosemite Avenue. It forces it on to the surface streets. Surface streets, residential streets. No room down the railroad tracks, I guess. Well, there is there is a possibility. I mean, and, and we're talking dollars, which we don't have right now. Uh, you could build, run a parallel, a street parallel to the railroad tracks to the to the south of. Uh, I get it. West Yosemite, come back in at Moffat. That has an adverse effect on uh, the glass company because I think it would pretty much eat their parking lot. Is that, even, can you imminent? Can a city do something like that? Whether or not you wanted to exercise eminent domain to do it, sure. uh, you know, if you didn't have a willing willing buyer. I mean, we'd all would love to make downtown have a challenge with the homeless population down there. You know, do you get a restaurant? And there are some restaurants that are, are going to open up. There's a Thai restaurant coming in downtown. I think there's a little con- a convenience market going to go in the old, I believe it's the Mars Department Store building. Sure. I'm just driving down on the way over here. There's wood posted up it, it looks like it's it's just so seems desolate and we're working on that we just recently adopted an ordinance that gives us some ability to work with the property owners and motivate them to uh, at least make the exteriors of their buildings more you know some of the buildings uh, would require some significant investment i think it's unrealistic to expect a tenant to come in and make that investment could the city upgrade the buildings to make them responsive to restaurants and, and, I mean, I don't know, a fee, uh, something you roll off. I, I don't know. You know, unfortunately, the, 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 know the, state, the state in their infinite wisdom several years, ago, several years ago eliminated the redevelopment agencies. Oh, okay. And that would have been a mechanism where you could have done that. I mean, you could have gone in, bought the building. Uh, Asked for some kind of loan or grant or up, something. Uh, you know, renovated it and then sold it. Or the, the event center that's gone in the former Delray, the former Kelly Brothers. That should be part of. That should be and a that, start of something good. That maybe. should open up in the next uh, three to four weeks, I think. Really, I, I don't know if they've actually got anything booked yet, but I mean, that, it's going to be ready for occupancy. At least the, the my understanding is the meeting hall. You know, the, the kitchen's not going to be quite ready. Okay, uh, so it it would have to be catered in, uh, but. And, and their, I think their kitchen's only a Food truck. few uh, few weeks behind that. I mean, there's just supply chain issues and getting equipment in and, you know, just like everybody's having issues. And the podcast isn't 10 hours long or I could just pick your brain all day. So that's not, you know, what if you want to, how do people email you, Charlie? If, if the public wanted to send you an email and ask you a question maybe about something you've heard, they've heard on the podcast, how would they do it? 
my email address at the city. Actually, you can go on the city website. And, oh, okay. And, and you can get it there, but it's chalford at ci.manteca.ca.us. Oh, right. You got to keep uh, all that. I, I was like, oh, look at that. He's retired chief of police, gets to have this. He goes, uh, city council, got to keep that email address. Yeah. You're piped in. I asked Chuck Crutchfield, what should people know about you, Charlie? He loves his community. He loves giving back. And if, if he's got the time and he's available and he gets a phone call, he will be there. And if he says he will be there, he will be there. Uh, you can always count on Charlie, 100%. Um, so uh, I think that's the key there. And, uh, you know, I have a saying is say what you would do and do what you say. And Charlie does that a lot. He says what he will do, and he definitely does what he will say. How about that? I saw you cleaning up a wedding instead of attending the wedding the other night of uh, Jacelyn Leotard. <laughs> Can you just go and sit down and enjoy yourself? You don't, do you? And I mean, Jeff and Tevity and I, you know, we're friends. There were a hundred people there that could have been doing what you were doing, yeah. and I saw you running around. Clint, look at this guy. Like he's not been the chief of police. Like he's not going to be the mayor someday or something. <laughs> Are you going to be the mayor someday? Yeah. Who knows? I asked for your bio, and I got a lot of that political stuff. You sent me some some stuff there. A lot of lot of interesting stuff. And when you're in politics, you got to be careful. <laughs> what you say on the Manteca podcast, well, right? That's true. I'm not one to uh, try to elicit a well, certain it, response. So. Hold on a second. Tammany Leotard here. <laughs> own some oh, local no. businesses, and I'm in education in Manteca Unified. I've known Charlie from my teenage years oh. when he was a police officer, but I would say more with Rotary. I've gotten to know him really well, and he's part of our small group of friends. What kind of guy is he? He's a caring, dedicated old man, if I may say. He's older than I am. What's true about hey, that Charlie smile. is he is kind, hardworking, and he'll do anything for others. I would say a personal memory would be he found a woman through a dating app that definitely completes him today. <laughs> What's her name again? Kathy. <laughs> Gotta love Tevany. Absolutely. God, I love Tevany. Give me a memory, Tev. A work memory? Oh, Charlie, we have lots of work memories, but I would <laughs> definitely say it's the Rotary events, doing eyeglasses in Honduras, up in the mountains, um, the Thanksgiving dinner, the book fest I've worked with him, the beer fest I've worked with him. He is definitely someone I always want on my team. He's usually the oldest in our group, but he's oh, usually on. the last man standing because he's such in good shape and he works hard amongst all of us. And if I want to add anything, I would say that he is funny and humorous. There is a good funny side of his. Just when you think he's a good one to tell jokes, especially after a bottle of red wine. <laughs> Well, red wine's heart medicine. <laughs> well, yeah, and gosh darn it, most people are humorous. You got a joke? I haven't had a bottle of wine yet. <laughs> Next time I bring the bottle of wine. Such an interesting thing. This isn't the Leotard podcast, and this isn't Dr. Stellhorn's podcast. They are each going to be on the podcast. Fred's going to be on it. Jeff and Tev all going to be interviewed. The eyeglass thing is, is so interesting. I asked Jeff. I have a great personal memory about Charlie. We were working down in Honduras with Dr. Stillhorn, my wife Tevany, Charlie's son Nate, and Charlie. And Charlie 
had a tendency of saying how everybody drank the Kool-Aid. Well, I took him through an orphanage and this little boy came up and wrapped his arms around his legs. Out of all the people that were there, it was Charlie. And all of a sudden I seen these tears come to Charlie's eyes. And I said to myself, talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. So after the little boy, he took off, he ran off and played with the kids. I says, hey, Charlie, you just didn't drink the Kool-Aid. You drank five gallons of the Kool-Aid. I seen you. You oh, fell into tears. We were, well, I don't know that I fell into tears, but uh, imagine we were, if you we were, just... we were at the orphanage. Yeah, and a uh, little, I don't know. Four or five year old, I mean, literally runs up, wraps himself around my leg, and, and uh, you know, just wants to hang on. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, before we started this, I, I think I said something to the effect of, "No matter, no matter how bad you've got it, somebody's always got it worse." Tell me about uh, that uh, operation, Fred and Jeff and you and everybody that well, they decided to take. It every goes year back, uh, oh God, years ago. Uh, Rotary started it way back when Ricardo Cuevas, who was a, a, a dentist here in town. Okay. Uh, was it came from Honduras, no, uh, and they had the big hurricane down there. Whenever that was, uh, so we got the the Manteca Rotary Club got what was then called a three H grant through uh, Rotary International. Okay, uh, and the uh, what is a three H grant? Oh, it was health and something something something, and it uh, uh, it was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars over three years, I believe it was. And so, you know, they went in and, and helped with some medical stuff and started with the eyeglass stuff. And that was the beginning of the, uh, oh. the eyeglass project. Let's tell people what it is. We literally go down, and Fred, Fred's an, for those of you who don't know, is an optometrist here in town. Dr. Stellhorn. Dr. Stellhorn. You go down, we take, uh, we buy glasses that are, uh, have pre-made pre- prescriptions. So you, we don't have the ability to grind custom uh, prescriptions uh, while we're there. And we do basic eye tests. Uh, you know, he's got a little machine he can he can ballpark it with, and then we we verify it with the glasses and 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 uh, sight cards. You know, where they they you know tell us whether it's clear or or blurry. I mean, obviously there's a language barrier. Sometimes there's a translator. Sometimes there's not to translate yourself. I mean, I had three years of high school Spanish, which some of it came back when I was doing that. You know, it's just amazing the uh, the feeling you get when you put a pair of glasses on somebody and all of a sudden they can read again or they can see in the distance. I remember when I was, I think I was 14 years old and I got my first pair of glasses and all of a sudden I realized the trees had leaves. They, wow. they weren't just a green blob. If you don't have access and they don't have access to a, that kind of medical care or the eye, eye care, you know, you can't hold the Bible far enough away in order to read it. I mean, so you you have some of these little old ladies who are in their fifties and sixties and seventies who like to read the Bible, or they they sew to fix clothes or do whatever, and they can't do it anymore because they can't see up close. The relief, the happiness, the gratitude when the, when they can all of a sudden can see again. It's got to be a refreshing feeling. Oh, it's a great feeling. Uh, it's one of the reasons I took my son down there, and uh, a year a year or two after I went down the first time. Where is Nate? Did he get embarrassed? Did he? What, what happened with Nate? He told me he was he was hip, and then backed out on me. Well, you know, I want. I'm sure he'd had some. He's great, a millennial. I sure he would have had some great stories about I, you. I'm sure he would have. Pops, uh, he's he loved it down there. I mean, and and he got into it and was was doing the exams and and did a great job. Nate is 22 now. 22. What's he do? 
Well, he was going to school. COVID kind of threw a curveball at all that. So right now he's uh, hanging out. Shout out to Nate. Oh, a right turn here. What's the grossest thing you've ever seen someone do in public? And that's this is for normal people. So when you ask a police officer, what's... Go ahead. Give me one. <laughs> you probably can't even... Well, you probably got 200. Well, I have, I have lots. And, and <laughs> I've I mean. seen people do in public. <laughs> what's the grossest thing you've ever seen someone do in public? You know what? Don't answer that. Yeah. I don't yeah, even want to hear yeah, that. I'm sorry to even bring that up to your recall. Uh, I pulled these. I, I have a magic, magic yeah. deck of cards here with questions. And I just pulled that. Probably not a good one to ask someone in law enforcement because they see the worst. Have you ever been bitten or attacked by an animal? And if so, what and why? Actually, it was a chihuahua that bit me on the ankle. Yours? No. Where? It was on a call uh, when I was working at the police department. I mean, it's not uncommon at all. And, and you, you don't call them ankle biters for no reason. Right. I mean, it's as you know, it's, it's the little dogs that, That'll get you. that typically get you. Because, oh. well, one is you tend to ignore them because they're little dogs. And two, they feel threatened much more. You know, big dogs you pay attention to. When did you decide you want to be in politics? Being the chief of police is being in politics, well, isn't it? it, 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 it it is and it isn't. You know, it's funny because when you when I went to chief school, chief school, yeah, there's there's a three day class that uh, you can take that, that I think it's it, it was in the title of the class. So you want to be a police chief. I mean, one of the things they 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 tell you right off the bat is you have to be politically aware, but apolitical. I mean, in that you don't get political. I mean, you're you're you you're a neutral third party. You, you do you follow the law. You do what's right. It's funny because I mean, I I went to council meetings for years as as police chief and as a captain, and you know I spent eleven years as chief, you know, going to city council meetings and sitting next to Joan Tilton. What a uh, great place to sit. Joan will also be on the podcast. That'll be an interesting podcast. Yeah, she's going to be on the podcast. Uh, too. And so when I retired, we had a conversation, and I, 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 and I told more than one person this. Is I, if I ever decided to say I'm going to run for city council, just shoot me in the other knee. Your knee's still good. Thankfully, they didn't shoot me. Uh, I really had no desire to get into it. And, and then, but I saw what was going on a couple years ago, and, and some of the decisions they were making were just, uh, I thought, was, were not in the best interest of the city. So I thought, you know, if, if all you're going to do is complain about it, you're not a part of the solution. And if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Is the governor a part of Manteca's problem? Well, I mean, some of the executive orders have made it tough on us uh, in dealing with the homeless. That's the other question here. So yeah. it, let me ask you, Chief of Police, how has it become? It, COVID's really emboldened everything. But how does it get to the point where people can walk out shoplifting and if it's under a certain dollar amount, it just doesn't matter? When did that come about I, it snuck up on us well the decision by the district attorney's office not to prosecute if, if if they have put that in their policy but it's blanket right yeah that is not up to local law enforcement that is up to the district attorney's office and li that lies at the feet but you don't even take them the, the police won't even take them because they know nothing's gonna they should it's not the police officers it's not the peace officers decision if they don't want to book them cite them out Lay that at the feet of the district attorney's office, which is where it belongs. The reality of it is, if you don't deal with the small problems, they become big problems. What are we looking at? Is it five years? Is it 10 years of this? Well, you know, they did that a long time ago, and then they ended it. Part of that was a budget crisis. They, you know, they said, well, we're not going to file some of the misdemeanors. We're going to do diversion and do whatever on them uh, because we just don't have the people to, to, to do it. You know, there are some district attorneys now, and I think it was Contra Costa that get, put a directive out that basically said, 
you need to ask the question if they needed what they stole. That's the stupidest thing. I would agree. <laughs> you know, there are other alternatives to, to, to get those things that you need. To not prosecute criminal activity, it just encourages people to go out and do it. And it's just without delving too far down into that hole, I don't, I don't even want to go there with that. But I think that's the one thing that people think Manteca is a scary place now because you've got all these night crawlers everywhere. And I'm to understand that Ronald Reagan shut down the mental hospitals in the 80s well, is that when that started not putting the kooky people away and i mean it, kooky uh, in the in the nicest of terms some it, people need to be put away you know reagan gets a lot of blame for it, it was actually two senators that passed the, uh, passed oh, okay. the bill, got a bill passed the, my mother hates republicans so of course it was reagan right so okay uh, you look back at it, it it was one of those unintended consequences right you know you throw a, a, a rock in a pond there's ripples there's effects there needed to be some reform back then because the state hospitals then were just warehousing people. You know, if you were a problem child and didn't get along with your parents, up gone. Right, they went and signed off. So glad, so glad Evelyn never decided to do that. Uh, you and me both. I'd have uh, been in big trouble. But so there, there was some reform that was needed, but you know it, it swung too far, and now you can't get people the help that they need not that they necessarily want it i mean there are some ways to do it and unfortunately our county has declined to take some of the steps that would enable us to work on some of those programs Uh, you know there's there's a process where after repeated contact with law enforcement and and temporary you know 72 hour holds that you could go get a conservatorship but uh, the board of supervisors uh, voted not to adopt that particular uh, at the request of their behavioral uh, health director, who says they have a program that essentially is non-existent, uh, it's hard to stomach. You know, and that being said, you know, people talk a lot about how bad Manteca is and how bad the crime is. The reality I, of it is, it's, it's not. Right. As we get bigger, obviously there's more crime. Trouble's going to find. If, but when you really look at it, and you look at the rates per hundred thousand, we're low. I mean, it, it's actually lower. Well, than considering it was. Stockton and Modesto. And well, it's were. lower than it was in Manteca in the '80s, and that was every everybody talks about how great Manteca was, used to be, and blah blah blah. We they, actually had higher crime rates in oh, the I, '80s than we do now. I know exactly. I, I mean, methamphetamine crank. I mean, I started in the PD in 1976, and we were dealing with that then. Yeah. You know, it didn't become a big problem into the nation until it got to the East Coast, and it didn't get to the East Coast until I don't know, fifteen years ago, ten, fifteen years ago. And it was a, it was a Central Valley, Southern California right. drug of choice, and the in the South, yeah, uh, we're learning it. Hmm. Used to be a big deal yeah. for you to have drugs. Well, mar- <laughs> now mar- it's not- marijuana now. Well, I mean, marijuana has been an infraction for <clears throat> I don't know what twenty years, twenty five years. Right. When I first started, we arrested people for marijuana seeds. Right. I mean, it was a felony to possess marijuana. Right. Times have changed. Uh, Yep. Since we're talking about that, what about these marijuana storefronts in the cities? What Manteca's got a, they did a moratorium a, a long time ago. Are, are we headed that way? Is Cantu, it seems like I read that the, the mayor's looking at that or trying to figure well, it out. It, it, we're studying it. That's being studied right now. Uh, How do you I, feel about it? You know, I'm not a fan of marijuana. Okay. It's legal. There's uh, four or five of them in Oakdale, you someone can, you said. Can go, you can go buy it in just about any city right? except Manteca. I mean, I know that Stockton, Modesto, and Riverbank have them. Is it dirty money? Someone say, oh, we're taking dirty money. What is it? Is it just the, the stigma? I guess, I mean, you could say that. I mean, it's it, it honestly, it's not going to be a big moneymaker for us. It'll generate some revenue. So it's a then why? Uh, then why? 
Uh, I, I suppose the, the other argument is then why not? For the, I, for the weed heads. I, I was born in 54. I was so, around in the 60s. Uh, right. My generation, there, there's a lot of dope smoking going on when I was going to college. I mean, I remember walking down the hallway and <laughs> yeah, you could get loaded just walking down the hallway of the dorm. When I was at Lincoln School... So what? I'm in sixth grade and 80. So in 1982, I can remember all the kids in uh, Coach Davis's special ed class would walk to Lincoln Park and they would smoke weed and come back. And the yard duties would just sort of walk out and, you know, they'd sort of come back. And if you were to do that now, three police cars would pull up at Lincoln Pool to, you know, you right up. And it, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Everything's so weird. Is it California thing only? Is this? Oh, no, it's, it's all over. There are many states that both medicinal and or recreational use. Did you get tired of pulling people over and writing tickets for pot? As the chief, did you so? Well, we didn't. I think it was in the late 80s. It became only an infraction. It was a traffic ticket. Oh. Uh, so, it, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Maybe, maybe not on the dispensary I, front. You know, it's... Uh, it, We'll see. Uh, I mean, it, it's probably going to come back to the council in a couple of months. And we have a wide range of choices to, to make, ranging from, yeah, you could allow storefront medical, medicinal, storefront recreational, cannot keep it from being delivered into Manteca. And there's lots of people that drive to Modesto, Stockton, Riverbank to get it and bring it, bring it back. All very interesting times. And I bet as someone on a city council, hard decisions to be made. Absolutely. I, I mean, and, it, and more than just whether or not Pot should be sold in the storefront. Much, much bigger issues, I'm you guessing. Know, the, the, and one of the challenges with pot is, I mean, everybody sees it as a big moneymaker, but if you if you tax it so high that it's so much more expensive, and it is already more goes expensive. Goes back to the, goes underneath the underground They just go back again. to the black market, and, right. you're, and you're buying it. And, and there's lots of places where you can go mar- buy marijuana on the black market in Manteca. So, I mean, to a degree, we're sticking our heads in, our, in the sand if we say it's not going to be available in Manteca if we don't allow storefronts. I think the key is if it if it does get allowed, and I'm I'm just reading the tea leaves. I, I there's probably enough votes to pass it at this point. And some, is that what it takes some, to break the moratorium? That would go to a vote at city council, uh, amend the ordinances, and it takes three votes. Hey, have you ever accidentally texted the wrong person? Absolutely. How did it turn out? Fortunately, it was just all clean. <laughs> no, nothing. Oh. nothing racy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, that, that could get ugly fast. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, uh, letting me come here and talk to you. What would you like to tell the people of Manteca? If you just had one microphone, because this is not a uh, scheduled release. This is a, well, it's a scheduled release and when I'm going to put it up, but once it's out there, anybody could listen at any time. What would you like to tell people, Charlie, today, uh, as we head towards, uh, July 1st, 2021? I, I think I'd just like to tell people that, you know, Manteca is a good city to live in. It's a good city to, to live in, raise your kids in, work in. We'd love to get more jobs here, and it's one of the things I'd like to see, you know, get more commercial and or industrial ground so we can get more jobs. Uh, but I think the real thing I'd like to say is you need to be part of the community. Uh, and if you see a problem, if you see something that needs to be fixed, then be part of the solution. Don't just complain about it. Bring it to somebody's attention that has the ability to deal with it. If you got a an issue in your in your neighborhood, let the people that that can deal with it or fix it yourself. Uh, you know, get involved with the Boys and Girls Club or give every child a chance. Or are those your first immediate uh, charities? If someone was listening and wanted to donate time, what would be your top two for you to tell people to? 
help out with? I think my top two would be uh, Boys and Girls Club and uh, Give Every Child a Chance. Uh, you know, all the service clubs are good, and, and, and I would encourage people to get involved in the service clubs. I mean, because the service clubs do a lot of good, whether it's Rotary, Kiwanis, Lions, and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Speaking of GSEC, Give Every Child a Chance, explain to people what it is. Because everybody knows what a Boys and Girls Club is, but nobody knows what Give Every Child a Chance well, is. And I need to find Bill Jones, too. So after the podcast, if you've got a working number, my vice principal from Antica High, who started out this Give Every Child a Chance thing, I'd love to have him as a focus of one of the podcasts, but I can't find him. So if you know... Give Every Child a Chance started off, oh, God, 15 years ago now? 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, it might be getting it, more it than that. It started off as a one-on-one tutoring program to help those kids who were a failing a class. Uh, primarily uh, elementary age kids. That was a, a dream of Anton Ramos's, uh, to, you know, to help kids improve in school because if you can't read and write, and if you can't read, you have a very tough time competing with everything else. If you can't read, it's hard to pass your history class <laughs> if you can't read the history, uh, the history book. So that was his dream. He, he provided some seed money, hired Bill Jones to start it off, and then it has grown into... It did, and they still do the one-on-one tutoring, uh, and and they recruit both older students and adults to go on and do those one-on-one uh, one uh, tutorings. Uh, so if you have the time and the ability to, and you don't have to be a brain surgeon to do one-on-one tutoring, because most of us can probably tutor math to a to a first or second grader, or or help you know a first, second, third grader read better. Uh, and they they provide all the tools, and it's just a time commitment. Uh, it's progressed into they became the the group that did started providing after school activities in the schools. State came out with a bunch of grant money. Uh, Boys and Girls Club had a couple sites. Give Every Child a Chance had had a, uh, a lot of sites. So there was a lot of state slash federal money that went into that where they provide after school programming in the schools uh, about three hours worth. So from the time school got out until. Well, three hours later. Um, so there was an hour of enrichment, hour of physical activity, and an hour, hour of educational. And, and so it was program time. You had to participate in all three of those. I mean, you moved from one classroom to the other, or the, or the, the, the instructors moved in the end. Uh, Boys and Girls Club is a little bit different in that it's a free choice. I mean, you have all of that available, athletics, education, you know, homework assistance, arts and crafts, just the games room where you can play foosball or pool or uh, video games. Uh, it, 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 Boys and Girls Club philosophy is a little bit different. Uh, but Give Every Child a Chance has been very successful in improving the grades of those kids that come in and, and do the one-on-one tutoring. Um, you can actually get promoted out of it. Uh, you know, if you, if you get all your all your grades up, then you're not eligible for the one-on-one tutoring anymore. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and then you you can go into the after-school program, and and uh, and if you start to start to falter, then the, the one-on-one programming is is still there. If you are new to the town, what would you suggest if somebody happened upon our podcast just by saying the word Manteca and we pop up? Maybe they're not focusing, and they they happen upon this podcast. Someone a new arrival to Manteca, what would you tell them to do? being a new arrival in town and curious about their new town? That's a good question. Uh, I'd tell them to go check out Great Wolf right now. 
uh, Great Wolf, uh, the softball complex. Uh, you know, there's a lot of recreational opportunities in town, depending on where you work. You know, if you work in town, then I'd, I'd, I would encourage them to check out the service clubs, check out Bass Pro Shopping Center, you know, the Costco Center. Somebody's lived here for 30 years. Lifelong Mantecans, what can they do right now to promote their city? Get involved. Get involved in service clubs, nonprofits. What we're talking about. Churches, Knights of Columbus. Don't bitch about your community unless you're being a part of your community. Absolutely. If all you want to do is complain, then... You know, I was looking on Nextdoor. I look on Nextdoor a lot because we see pets sometimes, and that's just one of those, another mouthpiece for for angry folks. Most I see a lot of good stuff on there, but everybody complaining about Great Wolf. Charlie, you don't have to say this. Let me handle this one, okay? How many people live in Las Vegas? There's a lot of great hotels with swimming pools, right? You don't just get to go because you live in Las Vegas, down to the Strip, walk in, and enjoy the pool. You've got to get a room, and you need to be part of the process. It's the same thing at Great Wolf. And do they have a free area? No, there's not an area, right? You have you have to have a room. Or is there a day-use place? Well, they, they, they do sell day-use tickets okay. uh, based on how full they are. Uh, oh, oh, so, so if there's no if there's not sold out, you can get a day-use? You can. Oh. Uh, honestly, I, I mean, it's not cheap, but going to any water park anymore is not cheap. I just want to say that the uh, city of Las Vegas cannot go down and jump in the pools yeah. in Las Vegas. There's a fee that goes with it. That's great to find out there's a daily fee, but yeah. if you have to get, that's why they put it here. And again, hey, Jeff Leotard, let's open some water slides, man. Get with Mike Brown. Let's get with the Browns. Let's do it again. Don't don't complain. There's something you be glad they're here. Bass Pro Shop has expensive shirts. They'll be mad that there's expensive shirts at Bass Pro. Don't shop there. Great Wolf is it will be good for Manteca. I think it's so. It's going to generate revenue. It's it's going to attract other businesses. Just because you come and stay at Great Wolf for a day, two or three or four days, doesn't mean you're not going to travel outside of Great Wolf and go spend some money in Manteca. Right. Uh, so it's going to be good for our businesses and our economy. Right. The other things that may come in as a result of Great Wolf being here, you know, you know, whether it's other recreational stuff or it's other businesses that come here, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be a attraction for those. Uh, Is there truth to Manteca got over the count population of seventy five thousand? Is there something that certain businesses won't look at you unless you have a population base of a certain amount? Oh, absolutely. And, and we've recently went to over that. And well, we're at 87,000 Explains now. the Raising Canes, maybe, and some of these well, uh, gonna, national chains. Absolutely. The, and, the, the more people you have, and the reality of it is, and people talk about how they want things in Manteca. Well, those things, those restaurants and those activities, they want a certain population, and they want that population to be growing. They don't want it to be static. Because uh, they want their business to grow. Right. You need the rooftops. You know, everybody wants affordable housing. Housing in Manteca is anything but affordable right now. And if you limit growth, it's going to make it even less affordable because it's supply and demand. You know, if you limit growth more than it already is, prices are just going to skyrocket. Uh, I mean, and real estate right now is just 
crazy. What is that number? Is the number seventy five thousand? You said there's eighty seven grand in the city now. Oh, no, is that, yeah, we are. What is well, the, what, that level that people move to where these national businesses well, now look to come? The, it depends on the business. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, like there's not a whole a whole category of those that are waiting for a population. Oh, Mantic no. is now seventy. Well, and it's like you know, Great Wolf and Bass Pro. They they're both regional draws. Bass Pro, of course, draws from I don't know 150, 200 miles easily. Uh, Great Wolf was probably about the same. We were over there this morning. They had their grand opening, and, and some folks were talking. They're they're, they're you know they were from Livermore, Vallejo, uh, you know they're all within ninety miles. Uh, but you just think about Manteca's location. Oh, it's uh, the best. And and Great Wolf, and I'm sure Great Wolf thought about it. This is a great place to start or end a vacation. I mean, if you're gonna, it's go an to, hour from everything. Well, if you want to go to Tahoe, you want to go to Yosemite. I mean. You know, not that international travel is up yet, and it's probably going to take a year or two before international travel really A rebounds. Google search will pop Great Wolf now when you search Manteca yeah. immediately. Well, they're not going to have to do a lot of work to get it done. Yep, and, you know, you get the international travelers here that want to go to Yosemite. They're going to see Great Wolf. They stop to spend a day or two here. That's all outside money coming in, spending it here, and we get the tax benefit from it. Of course, we have to share that with the state and the county and all that. Yeah. Again, goods. that's but, a different. That's a whole different podcast. But, but that's still money in Manteca's pocket, and it's it's money that we doesn't cost us a lot to get. Now, the first four or five years on Great Wolf, we don't make a ton of money because we're basically paying back what we to attract them to to attract them. Mm-hmm. Once that's paid off, it's it's going it's going to be a big revenue generator, and it's a revenue generator now. But just the the property tax on that that was not a small project. <laughs> How about the new uh, furniture store on the opposite side of the uh, bypass? Same thing. They're a regional draw. What's it called? Living Spaces. I went in. Incredibly big. Uh, it was big. I Pack need, of lunch. I need I need to go buy it and, and, and go in. and. The sleep area was real cool. <laughs> uh, the pillows, cooling pillows and whatnot. Yeah, Did you take so. a nap while you're there? No. Can you tell us something that's coming? We know Raising Cane's. The sign's up. What Raising else? Cane's coming. What uh, happened to the burger out on uh, Lathrop? Burger, Fat I burger? I, Still coming? I, as far as I know, I've oh. not heard anything. COVID, COVID uh, really jacked everything up. It did. It delayed a lot of things. The CEO at Great Wolf was talking about, I mean, how it slowed down construction. I mean, obviously slowed them down opening. I mean, they were going to open last June. Right. COVID has slowed a lot of things down, and, and it's it's reduced what well, cut the businesses, of, particularly on the entertainment side. You know, restaurants, bars, movie theaters. I mean. Killed my mobile DJ uh, business. Yeah. Weddings are just now coming yeah. back, barely. I mean, so. They've got to they've got to get their feet back underneath them before they start expanding. I, I in, in some respects, Great Wolf, uh, because I think some people, a lot of people, might be hesitant to do international travel or even to fly. I mean, you know, you got to wear a mask on a plane. I mean, we recently flew to uh, Arizona, short flight, but to wear a mask for six hours flying across the country, I'd just assume not. <laughs> Hopefully, that'll come come to an end here in the next few months. People want to get out, and so. Great Wolf's going to be a great opportunity for people to do that and and, and get out quasi-locally. Yeah. Thank you for your service to our town. You're going to continue to serve our town, and there's no telling what's in the future. I don't think you've uh, I don't think you've done it yet. You've done a lot, but you might not have done it all yet. Well, you never know. Opportunities present themselves. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you. So the show is called the Man About Town Podcast, Mantica, and my name is Aaron Goodwin, also known as Randy Bubba Black. I do it in order to set a time in history. You make sure you add our page, 
Subscribe to our feed, share, tell a friend, find us exclusively on Anchor Podcast. I promise you a great guest every week for the next year. And I thank you for today's listen. The podcast is sole property of Aaron Goodwin. It may not be reproduced or distributed without written consent. All music used in the podcast is utilized and covered by Fair Rights Usage. Manticapodcast.com.